It helps if you actually pull your mic over to you, Ben. Well, I never get to say anything on the show anyway, so <laughs> you don't what's, really need I was a just mic. Like, what's the point today? Hey, it is uh it's actually good that it's a little bit shocking that it's February sixteenth and it's snowing again. It's been you know, it's been warm. So Yeah, yeah. It's time South Bend has a way of raising your hopes before dashing them onto the icy <laughs> pavement. <laughs> Oh, I enjoy the cold. But anyway, we are talking about nice, kind people today, aren't we? We are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, good good people. We're having an evangelistic conversation. Yes, we are. And we're having an evangelistic conversation about how do we witness to good people, nice people, kind people, maybe even people, hold your breath, who think they're Christian. It was a lie, Stephen. <laughs> we can't put that on the podcast, can we? Can we quote movies on this thing? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, you and I are both raised in the South. And as kids, um, we... Oh, I guess you were raised in Oklahoma and different places as well. Mostly mostly South Carolina. Mostly in South Carolina. Um, and in the South, everybody's saved. Everybody's had some sort of pray-to-Jesus moment or baptism experience. Everybody goes to church. Everybody's a Christian. And yet you look around you and you say, if that were actually the truth, this place would look very different than it actually does. Very true. And so the profession of faith is not equal to the uh, actual to actual saving faith. So the question that we have that we're going to deal with today is, you, you let, let's perhaps build a scenario, okay? You have someone who you know who's a very nice, kind person. They maybe even say they believe in God or they believe in the Bible, but you do not believe they're a Christian, and so you are trying to evangelize them, or they're a really good person. They may not say they're a Christian, but they're really moral, mm. and we're going to share the gospel with them. The temptation is hard because you look at a person who's good, like you know, you've got the model neighbor or something like that, and you look at them and you're like, oh man, it seems like they're doing pretty good. You know, it seems like things are working out for them pretty well. You know, uh, and it can be hard to like bring up religion with somebody who's really kind and polite and mows their grass on the regular and all this sort of stuff. Cause you, you think, man, what, what, what does Christianity have to offer them? Maybe. Can I give you an illustration from my reading today, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah, please do. I was reading a sermon by Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones and he said something interesting. He said that one of Satan's tactics is to act like a faulty physician in the sense that someone is writhing in pain because of their cancerous stomach and Satan comes in and provides morphine to dull their pain and make them happy so they can die in peace. And, and his point in that is to say that as ministers of the gospel, our responsibility cannot be simply to dull the pain of sin, because that is actually a tool of the devil hmm. to get people's mind off their eternal destiny, off their eternal salvation. And to have them distracted, his focus was specifically with um, wealth, prosperity, money, things of this world that would that would satiate their conscience or perhaps push those fears to the back of their mind. And what and, and we see that around us of people who even with um, a a non spiritual morality have have um, gotten themselves to a place to where they don't even think they're sinners or they think they're really good people and God likes them rather than being overwhelmed in their sin. That's a really fantastic analogy. That's really good. I wish it was original with me, but it's I was about not. to say, it was really smart of you to read Lloyd-Jones. Yeah, <laughs> it was really smart of me to read smart people. <laughs> no, but it, it's true. And sometimes I've, I've experienced this in the past where I try to maybe share the gospel with, with a really nice person, and they'll come back with kind of that, uh, 
oh yeah, I believe in God mm-hmm. and I go to church mm-hmm. as though that closes the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to kind of get stuck there. Like, oh no, like, okay, what do I say now? Do, do I pursue this any further? Do I just kind of leave it at that? Oh, I, I believe in God. I go to church or what, what more can I do? And what, do you have any advice for what, what a person should do in a situation like that? Let's say we try to yeah. bring up Christ and maybe this person says, Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I, man, I, my, my family went to church all those years and, uh, you know, we, we go to this church right up the street. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you say in a conversation like that? So I actually had this happen to me re- very recently. I was in a, uh, in a car garage for uh, vehicle maintenance and a guy working there came up and I think he noticed something was, I don't know why he started a conversation with me, but I think he was kind of searching or, or something. And he said, so, so what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, Oh, that's great. I was, uh, I went to church and I was baptized as a kid. So I'm good to go. That was literally what he said. Wow. And, and it was grieving to me because at that point he was trying to build a common foundation and, and what I tried to do was to steer the relationship away from um, spiritual experiences and um, to steer the relation to steer the conversation away from um, some sort of um, um, liturgical action and to drive it towards relationship language of to say, I'm so thankful for my relationship with Christ and and what have you learned about God? And as soon as we started lo- shifting into relationship language, he got very uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. and changed the subject. Um, and, and hopefully we can leave those relationships or those quick conversations with something to the effect of, you know, God has offered salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ or through a submission to the authority of Christ in the word and embracing Jesus as God, you know, yeah. something, something of that nature. One thing that I've tried to do when I find myself in conversations like that, and I was just thinking about this as you were saying it, but the bottom line is it, just a real simple answer. No, you should not leave the conversation at that point. If at all Correct. possible, when somebody says, oh, I believe in God or I go to church, that's not the time for you to back out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And in order to go forward, you don't need techniques. You, at the, at the end of the day, you need courage. That's right. You need boldness. And mm-hmm. that's a virtue that comes from the Spirit of God. So it's something to pray for, that God would give it to you as a grace. And it's something to pursue by faith. But uh, one of the things that I've tried to do that I found is helpful in minimizing un- unnecessary awkwardness is somebody says something to me like, oh, wow, you know, like, oh, that's great. You're a pastor or you work at this church or ministry. I go to church, da 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 and I'll just say something like, oh, wow, I'm so glad to hear that. That's so interesting. You know, it's amazing how many people in the world think that just going to church makes you a Christian or makes you right with God. Isn't it amazing how many people think that just by going to church, they can have a relationship with God? Mm-hmm. And in that way, I'm not assuming that this person and I are against each other. At that point, I may not know the state of their heart, but I want them to understand that whatever it is we're talking about, mm-hmm. it has to go to a deeper layer than a bare church attendance. It cannot Absolutely. be a mo- mere moral faith or a historical faith or even uh, kind of what the old Puritans would call a miraculous faith, a faith in the God who performs miracles. Mm-hmm. It's not even the kind of faith that believes there is a God who created the world. It has to go deeper than that. The Absolutely. devils have miraculous faith, and I want as much as possible that conversation to the point that the devils don't have miraculous faith. Well, they do because they believe in a God who performs miracles and oh, they tremble. Oh, oh, oh. They don't have saving faith. It's not a saving faith. I miraculous faith is not a saving faith. I see what you're saying. I mean, that's kind of their point is you can even believe 
in the God who performs mm-hmm. miracles without having a relationship with that mm-hmm. God. And so helping them understand, wow, you know, it, isn't it amazing how many people think that baptism is what saves them? Hmm. And uh, a lot of times I'll say, you know, it's really interesting. Some people, they kind of have a fuzzy idea about what saves a person. Do, do you mind if I just share with you for a few minutes what the Bible says about this? Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, not every time, but a lot of times it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, what, what do you think about this? What, mm-hmm. what are your ideas about this? And, and that's, that's, a, such, that's a great question to ask. What are, what, are your, what are your beliefs in this? I think it's interesting. Normally when somebody comes back, they're either going to come back with a, a statement of church attendance, of some sort of sacrament, baptism, something like that, or they're going to come back with the sense that they are right with God. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so in your set, in your case, when someone says I go to church as well, then you can make the statement. And it, when people say it to me, sometimes I'll respond with, you know, my father-in-law had a hilarious saying, and it was, "Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car." Right. You know. And people are like, "Oh," and I said, "Yeah," because there are a lot of people who go to church who aren't genuine believers of Christ. And yeah. so you can segue right in that way. Right. Uh, one way you can do it with. If somebody thinks they're like, uh, if somebody is assuming that they're in a right relationship with God, and let's let's back up for a second and realize, there are some people who are genuine believers who are going to speak this way, right, right. But but so so we do, we don't want. Let's come op- back to that and let's ask the question in just a few minutes why they talk that way and okay. what we can do to to help help okay. kind of root that out. Um, so my uh, suggestion would also be that someone would ask some sort of probing question about reconciliation with the God of, of this world, like. Um, is, isn't it amazing that people think that they can get rid of their sin by just doing good things or, or something to the effect of what are your, so, so what are your spiritual beliefs about how a person can get to God? Mm-hmm. Um, something of that nature in trying to bridge the gap of saying the truth is there's nothing we can do that's good enough because God requires perfection and to transitioning then into Christ's active obedience and saying Jesus lived a perfect life. So because we can't. And there's got to come a point, once you get to that point in the conversation, uh, if they're still willing to talk with you, that's the point when you're really going to have to lean on the Spirit's empowering grace because you're going to have to boldly look them in the face and say, you know, I want to say this in love, but the Bible says that you're not actually a good person. Mm -hmm. The Bible teaches us that every one of us has sin before God and that there is nothing we can do about that. It's a great opportunity to go into... Uh, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, to point out the specific sins in their life that put them in a state of rebellion and hostility against God. And th- this conversation may happen in 20 seconds, right? And the, and the way that, like the conversation that I had, it was very brief because it's very obviously who they wanted to shut it down. And so in, in, in the way that, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want people to get the wrong idea as in we're Every gospel conversation has going to be 20 minutes. Man, it would be awesome if it was 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. right? But normally it's something to the effect of you and I have a problem, and that is that our sin has separated us from God. And the only hope that we have is that we can believe who Jesus is and ask him to rescue us. Mm-hmm that it's his work on the cross that's rescued, that's rescuing us. So, something of that nature to where you're making right. it obvious that it's by faith in Christ alone through his grace that we're being saved. And of course, if you're having a longer conversation, you can extend that out a little bit and talk about the nature of sin. And, and Well, and that, and that, that brings up sense. a good point because um, we, we ought to ask, you know, based on the context, a lot of times we can kind of tell ahead of time how long a conversation is going to be. Yep. If you're riding to the top floor of the hospital in the elevator, 
your time is incredibly short yes. and super limited. So you, context kind of tells you ahead of time what kind of a conversation you might be able to have. But if you know that a conversation is short, you want to have the opportunity to continue it on in a later way, mm -hmm. and, and further down the road. If you can. There's a couple yeah. of ways you can do that. Number one, you could invite them to church with you. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, I know that you go to church. I would love it if you came as a guest of mine. And mm -hmm. would you come to church? I would love to take you out to lunch afterwards. Mm -hmm. And we could keep having this conversation. That's exactly well, what I did. I'm going to add something to that. I said, when you come to church, come find me. Here's about where I'll be in the auditorium. I know it's a big auditorium. Right. But when you come to church, come find me. And I'd love to sit with you You know, during the service, yeah. things like that. So anytime that you can find a way to extend mm -hmm. that conversation beyond the confines of that immediate context, that's always awesome. Because the more exposure that a person has to the gospel, even if you have a 20-minute conversation and they don't make a decision, that's not a time for you to say, all right, peace out. You know, like, it's great, great talking to you. I'll see you in eternity, maybe, yeah, maybe. you know. I hope, yeah. I hope I see you in heaven one day. <laughs> yeah, no, but to say, hey, this has been an awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed just having an open discussion and even something along the lines of, hey, you know, a lot of times in our world, people spend so much time shouting at each other that they never actually have real conversations. And mm -hmm. I've enjoyed the conversation that we had today. I'd love to have another one with you. Would you mind if we got together for coffee sometime and kept talking about these things? Because I think these are worthwhile questions that get to the heart of what life's all about. Yeah. Let me ask awesome. you. Let me ask you this question though. Um, what are your thoughts about? Um, and I know we just mentioned it, so I, th I think obviously it's appropriate. But what are your thoughts about uh, using invitations to attend church as an evangelistic method? I think it's a great opportunity to connect someone with a body of believers that can be a visible example of what the gospel is. I think. Can you explain that a bit? Go into what, that what a I bit mean more by detail. that is, um, I think it's a great example for an unsaved person to come in and see genuine love, unity, connection, comfort, joy, worship, and and to feel like they're missing out on something. I think that's appropriate. I do not think it's appropriate as a substitute for a personal gospel um, uh, invitation or a personal gospel message into their life. So you would say that for like a church member who's mm -hmm. trying to maybe share the gospel with a neighbor or a really nice, you know, good person, sort of coworker or acquaintance, somebody they meet in the store maybe and just strike up a conversation at the diner on Saturday morning, you think it's it's inappropriate for that person to think. My evangelistic duty is to get him to church where he can hear the message on Sunday, and that's what evangelism is. Correct. Why yeah. was why is that the case? Well, because you don't you don't first of all you you see in the New Testament a pattern of consistent messages that are given. You see Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch of stepping in and giving the message, giving the gospel to one individual person. You definitely see preaching to crowds of people with the gospel, right? But in um. We live in a relational society, and the gospel is an individual message, and God has entrusted his church with the message of the gospel. And so what we want to do is we want to mobilize our church members to take that message individually to people that they know, because the number one reason that people come to a church is because of relationships in that church, right? The number one reason, the number one opportunity that will open their heart to the gospel from from statistics, and I don't have them right in front of me, but I've got books with them in it, um, are relationships of people that they trust. 
to say, I love you enough to share this with you and I trust you in this scenario. That may not be possible. In fact, most time it isn't possible within a work environment during work hours because they, they, especially with the person who's saying, listen, I have to give an accounting for my hours. I can't sit for 20 minutes on the clock and have a gospel conversation and not work. Right. But there's a relationship that can be built inside those working hours as you work beside someone that can be expounded on outside of those hours. And it's not wrong to say, hey, would you want to come to church with me? But that person is not coming to worship. They're coming to see a visible picture of what the gospel is through the unity and the communion of the church body. But then it is there's individual's responsibility to put a name to that and mm-hmm. to put the plan of the gospel and leverage that on a person's heart. It's interesting you say that because, you know, I growing up in South Carolina, uh, your dad helped uh, plant a church. Mm-hmm. Um, with a group of kind of a core group of people, and I uh, launched launched that church. My dad did something similar to that just a few minutes down the road, uh, about twenty minutes away. And growing up, um, I knew tons of unsaved kids in my neighborhood. Just a lot of kids around us, our age, we'd play ball with in the streets and stuff. And we were always inviting them to church and bring them, and that would be an opportunity for me to pray for them, for me mm-hmm. to pray for their souls, that Christ would open up their eyes to understand the gospel. But I. I never, by God's grace, never separated in my mind that, oh, I bring them to church so that that guy up front can do that evangelistic work, and I got to get him to church so he can hear somebody share the gospel yeah. with him. No, this this is always part of the continuing relationship that I have with this kid in the neighborhood, and I fully expected that I was going to be the one to share the gospel with him at some point. And I would pray, you know, if there's an altar call, man, I want him to go forward yeah. and get saved. And, you know, I want this person to trust Christ. But, man, Lord, I, would you give me an opportunity to share Christ with them? Because after today, after they come to church, I'm going to see them at the bus stop on Monday, you yeah. know, after they get home from school. And we're going to be, we're going to be continuing this relationship. And this is not over the minute somebody walks into church. Let me tell you a great way to leverage the church gathering in an unsafe person's heart. If if they can attend church with you, if they will, the follow-up, the first follow-up conversation is so important yeah. because the question is, hey, what did you think about yeah. that? What message? did you think about that? What was your what were some of your takeaways? Mm-hmm. What did you think about what he said? Yeah. Because this is what the Bible says. This is why we gather. What did you think? And honestly, the reason it's hard is because sometimes it puts a relationship on the line. Right. Right? Um and, 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 you know, we have a commitment here at Community is that as much as possible, we are going to be inserting the gospel into messages, into singing, into the focus of our services, because we believe that every Christian needs to abide in the gospel every day, right, and, and recognizing God's work on the cross for him. And, and also as an opportunity, if there's a visitor there, to plant that seed. Right. But that first conversation is so important. Hey, what did you think? What were your takeaways? We've even done like a men's stakeout or a ladies' night where, where we'll do a dinner and ladies will invite their unsafe friends. And we very, may, want to be very careful we don't do like a bait and switch, right, of, hey, we got you here with a free meal, but while you're here, we're going to try to sell you something, which is what some companies do. We never want to be accused of that with the gospel. We always want to be up front. It's going to be a gospel message. But it gives an opportunity afterwards for somebody to say, Hey, what'd you think about that? What are, you know, what are the, what's going on in your heart when you hear things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really important. Yeah. And I think that you just bring out such a great point that I worship is evangelistic by nature. 
but yet its primary purpose is the worship That's of right. the body of believers. That's that right. Sunday morning service is primarily for exposition of scripture for the edification of those who already profess Christ. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, I, and I can attest this listening to so many of your sermons, but there are continual and consistent evangelistic appeals throughout, mm-hmm. but it would be a mistake to think that Sunday morning is evangelism time in terms of getting unsaved people in the doors to sit in the pews to hear a gospel message. That's right. The worship services for our church family All right, to let, learn and to grow. Let's kind of circle back around just for a couple minutes and think to ourselves, okay, so question we asked earlier, we have a good person, mm-hmm. and uh, let's say that they're, they're actually believers, but they're saying things like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because I go to church too. What's, what's kind of going on with that? Is there a good way to respond to that? What should we do with a, a conversation like that? Yeah, so um, I'm a Christian. I go to church. It's not a bad statement. Right. Christians should go to church. You know, I'm a, um, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. None of those things are wrong. It, it may be one of two things. It may be an unsaved person who's placing their faith in actions of perceived righteousness, right, and earning their own merit for God. Or it could be an immature Christian mm-hmm. who's saying, this is, this is what we do. I'm a Christian. This is what I do. I go to church, you know, and I'm so glad you go to church too. And so I would just, again, want to press in and ask further questions like, like the one that you said, hey, isn't it amazing? I don't know about your church, but isn't it amazing that, that people go to church all the time and they think going to church makes them a Christian? What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And to ask one more level of question that's just going to bring that up, yeah. kind of press in a little bit, you know? Really helpful pastoral counsel there. Yeah. And just as a caveat, <laughs> we, we haven't touched on this, but lest, lest we enrage any uh, theologically minded church members, um, we recognize that we have never had a conversation with a morally good person. (laughs) (laughs) It's a contradiction in terms according to Scripture. We should say a person who thinks they're good. There are externally righteous people, but God knows the heart, and at the heart of every person is a sinner who's enslaved by sin, Mm -hmm. of their father or the devil, their dead, their trespasses and sins, and no matter what kind of a moral face we may put over that sin, it is sin at the core nonetheless. And the goal of the gospel is to show the mirror of truth up to a person's face so that they see themselves the way God sees them mm-hmm. so that by faith they can see themselves or be seen the way Christ sees uh, God sees Christ. So let me end just by saying this um, with a person who sees themselves as morally good or morally superior there. W- one of the struggles is to help that person see the, the depth of their sinful condition. Um, again, my father-in-law who was an evangelist, she used to say so. Sometimes you have to get them say lost before you can see them saved, mm-hmm. right? There are two ways, two illustrations that I found that are very, very helpful. They're both from Charles Spurgeon. Once again, reading smart people. Not that I'm a smart person, but 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 gathering and, and gleaning from from people who are very well set, very well uh, eloquent in spiritual things. Charles Spurgeon would use two illustrations, which I think are really helpful. The first is an illustration of a of a a, a fine or a thin pane of glass and you were to say how many cracks does that glass need to have to be broken and you say well just one and so the way that I would illustrate this with with teens is to say you know well I'm not really that bad of a person I'm a pretty good person I'm not really that bad well well how many sins have you committed well, I don't know have you committed one 
okay, well, God requires perfection or holiness, and that would be like a, a thin sheet of glass that's hanging up. And how many how many rocks does it take thrown through that glass to ruin the entire thing? Just just one, just shattered. That that the perfection then would be shattered. Another one, which actually you can't use as much anymore because of cell phones, is the idea of a, a some sort of electric wire or a phone wire being connected. Spurgeon would use it from from uh, America to England, you know. And you would say, and I, I've often said, okay, from here to Indianapolis, if there was a wire that we could talk on walkie-talkies or an old-fashioned phone, and you drove from here to Kokomo and you just cut it once, how many times would you have to cut it to sever the connection? Mm-hmm. And the answer yeah. is just once. That's a great, it doesn't matter where along that line. Right. And, and so one sin separates us from God. One sin is enough to not be perfect. And, and that may be a little help of just... Not not wanting to be unkind, but being kind and revealing to them that they're not as good as they think they are, or and and, and they are a sinner who needs a savior. And so that may be a help as well. And if you if you're in, in the process of speaking to someone who's in this, you can reach out to us. We can point you to some resources or maybe help you think through some conversations. So. Uh, Helpful advice, and uh, we we hope and trust that our church members uh, take their duty and uh, delight of evangelizing those in their sphere of influence seriously and uh, receive many blessings from the Lord as they faithfully and prayerfully pursue that end. Thanks so much for the pastoral counsel through these questions, Pastor Joe. Amen.